With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. VM.com. From the TCL studios, it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. You know, I learned um, I learned a lot lot about the man um, outside of football. You know, um, I had a lot of um, time to reflect on my life and where I want to go and the decisions I made. Um, and I just want to um, get better with get better with some of my decisions that I made and you know just improve on them. All right, that was Everson Griffin today. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Philip. How are you? Now, you guys led the show with Everson Griffin discussion. He's back and presumably going to play if things go well in practice this week. He's he's slated to play. That's the word out of uh, TCO, PC, TC. Zimmer, when asked about it this morning, said he wasn't sure. But, okay, well, but that might have changed since then. Yeah. Uh, I I just love hearing him talk, and and I th- I thought the fallout of. What happened and him winding up in the hospital, what, five weeks ago? I love that we've gotten to a point in the sports world that we live in where we can talk about mental illness publicly and we can bring up things like anxiety and depression and mental breakdowns and not treat people like they're weak, right? Or that or that they're psychos of some kind, or that, or just to pile it all on brain damage. I think in the NFL, it's really easy to say, oh, CTE, right? Someone someone went mentally bonkers, so they must have brain damage. And I mean, I, I, th- I think the mental illness rates in our country are as high as they've ever been. In fact, I think, I, I think, I don't think I know that they are as high as they've ever been. And it's cool now to see guys like Everson Griffin, Kevin Love in Cleveland, Feeling like they can come out and talk openly about it. Demar so, Derozan was one, yeah, exactly. Demar Derozan. So whether he plays this weekend or not, or whether the Vikings defense gets a lot better, I mean, those are all secondary conversations. I think he is, and it's not like he went out with this mission and 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 had a mental breakdown for this cause, but mm-hmm. the fact that he's opening doors in a league and a sport where. Most of the time, athletes try to hide the fact that they might be going through mental things and they go out of their way to puff their chests and show how tough they are. Yep. I love that a hulking dude who weighs 250 pounds with no fat on his body can come away from a mental breakdown and talk openly about it and say, yep, I'm going to use this the rest of my life and go forward. I and, think it's awesome. And you just hope that that the team handles this in the absolute correct way, which is, this is tough. I mean, because this is... As we talked about to start the show, you know, the National Football League and football players and football people aren't geared towards towards this. They're geared towards macho and let's go kick ass for three hours every Sunday. 
And so what you hope ultimately happens from this is a real step forward. But the thing I disagreed with uh, Zimmeron today was he said that this was not unique in the sense that lots of people go through this. And on that, he's right. But where he's not right is lots of people go through this and then they go back to their regular jobs which means that there's forgiveness there, and you go sit in your cubicle or do your job. You can take a day off and, if you need it, right? Right, and, yeah. and, and it's, but it's also a job. This is an incredibly macho profession. And so this, to see how this entire thing plays out to me is going to be very interesting because it is a profession where, where you essentially thrive by suspending belief. Mm-hmm. You suspend, you don't think of yourself as being a person that can get hurt. If you're a, a football player and you sit around thinking to yourself, wow, I hope I don't get hurt on Sunday yeah. or I hope, I hope I don't start crying. Then, then you are considered right or wrong, mm-hmm. and it's probably wrong. You're considered weak. So I am very curious now to see where this goes. Well, and Judd, you brought it up last hour the the Derek Carr thing, where what was it they said? Like he he hurt himself, and there was the rumor that he was on the sidelines, like tearing up or something. And then he had to come out and he had to come out and tweet and say there was you know not not one single tear or something like that. And it's just. We're we're at a point now where it's like it's ridiculous that he has to do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's that's kind of the shame in in all of this. And obviously, I mean, Derek Carr being injured, having a physical injury, is different than what Everson Griffin has had to deal with for the last month. But I mean, it's it's just it, it's to your point, Phil. It's nice that we're at a point now where people are comfortable talking about this and understanding that this is a real thing mm-hmm. and that it's not just. You know, you, you don't just have to be super tough all the time just because it's a it's a violent physical game that these guys play. Well, at the risk of turning this into a Mackie Judd and Manny therapy session here, I'm because we're all we're all guys in this room, and you know we're, we we're certainly not NFL football players here. <laughs> Manny's the closest thing because his stepfather played. And, and, yeah, and my grandfather I, played for Notre Dame. So I I, guess, you, it doesn't count. No, <laughs> Sorry, Phil. So, it doesn't we're count. Not, we're not football players. I was on the heavy team, the the fat the fat kids team in eighth grade. Or actually, it was seventh grade, where I think they, they had like a weight line, so whatever it was, 120 pounds or something, and all the kids under 120 were on one on the lightweight team, and all the kids over 120 were on the heavyweight team, and I weighed like exactly 120 with three other kids, and they just numbered us off. Anyways, it as guys, haven't you always felt like you're not supposed to cry, or you're supposed to be the rock in situations? Mm-hmm. Someone someone dies in your family, or something's happening, and you're you're supposed you're supposed to be a certain way and football it's even more it's even multiplied times 10 right that not only are you supposed to be a certain way because you're a guy you're supposed to be a certain way because you're a football player right. an NFL football player and that's got to be really hard and and I I've said this when Junior Seau took his own life and Immediately, the discussion turned to CTE and brain damage. Oh man, you, you got to study that guy's brain. Brain damage, CTE. But nobody ever accounted for the things and the structures in your life. Being a male, being in football, and then leaving those structures, and still having this huge void to fill in your life, and not knowing what to do with it. The game right? day void. Correct. The game day void. The, the camaraderie the void. The schedule Absolutely, void. Yes. All these things, and yep. having all those things ripped away. And as a guy. It's not easy for whatever reason, society, whatever reason, as a guy, it's not easy just to say, you know what, I'm just having a really, really hard time with this. And I hope that at some point, stories like Everson Griffin and Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan 
and whoever else is going to come along in the future, lead us a little further down the path of just being able to talk openly about it. The thing about playing pro sports, I think, too, and and nobody feels sorry for these guys because they get to play a great game and they make millions of dollars ordinarily. But I think the thing about playing pro sports that we can't identify with or appreciate is there's so many dysfunctional things about it. One, you're playing a child's game. You're a grown adult. You might have a family and kids, but you are playing a child's game. Two is the inherent pressure that, that goes along with that because you are one of the best in the world at what you do playing that child's game. And so you've, you're you allowed to keep playing it as long as possible, but there's always a, a ticking clock there. And so I just think there's so many things. And, and also, if, you, if you're going to be as successful as possible at football or hockey or any other sport that tends to be brutal, you also don't have room for doubt. Like, you can't be sitting there being like, we're playing the Saints. I wonder if I'm going to fail on Sunday. Because if I fail, I might start crying, and that's going to suck. Yeah, but, like, you, but you do feel that way. No, you do. But that's my point. You, is have, you, to, have, you have to bury it. But you have to bury every, yeah. every, everything you do, as great as the sport might be, is somewhat dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about this, okay? This, this, is a, this is a totally different path. But just to play off your point of this sport is dysfunctional, and this sport is different than society— Okay, how, what's the percentage of of homosexual men and women in the country? Like nine percent or something? Like one in every ten people is is gay, right? And you're telling me in the history of the NFL, there's been no gay active players? No, that's not true. It's just that well, NFL hasn't caught up to society in that. Oh, you can be open about certain things. You can be open about mental illness. You can be open about it. Yeah, I'm gay. And ten percent of society is gay, right? So. I don't know how that ties into Everson Griffin necessarily, just in terms of why the NFL is so much different Everything's when buried. talking about these every, certain but, subsections of society. But all of this stuff is buried. And and I'm sure Griffin is going to have teammates who will be completely understanding and supportive. But there's, what, 61 guys in that room? 61 guys. And among the that group, there's going to be some extremely macho guys and unfortunately, you can't convince me that 60 guys are going to be like, oh, this is fine. A lot of them are going to be like, this is just weird to them. Yeah, but if because it's a guy like Everson Griffin, who before this happened was looked at as the maybe the best defensive player in that locker room, one of the best defensive players in the league, yep. it takes figures like that to come out, have problems, get over them, or at least go through them and, and talk publicly. And that's right? cool, but what if he comes back and he's not, not the same? Because if you recall, the Griffin that we all talked about was what? He's wired up. He's crazy on the He's a maniac on the field. A little bit he's, of a psycho. He's the, getting yeah. after it. He's going to hit the quarterback. Mm-hmm. All of those things there's a fighting chance that for his long-term health and sake you can't just flip that switch on sundays and say i'm going to be the madman for four hours on sundays and the rest of the time i'm going to be the new everson griffin well okay here's another sort of apples to oranges but somewhat applicable comparison so the three of us we talk for a living Mm -hmm. and it's you're in you're you're in a studio and it's fun and it's energetic and you're you know there's a certain amount of mental energy that you exhaust and you and and sometimes after a Vikings vent line or something as dumb as this sounds, you got it takes a little while to unwind because you've just been on you've been on a microphone and you've been on for a while and yeah. to wind down to then be able to go home and go to bed is even in this role it's okay it takes a little process okay imagine being a somewhat maniacal NFL football player and that you're a 250 pound machine and you have to be a certain way for three hours on a field and. And be that way mentally and physically in order to do your job at the highest level. Or if you, and if, by the way, if you don't, you're cut. 
you're you're cut and you might not get the rest of that contract. And the gap between where you have to be during a game to where you have to be in normal everyday life with a family and kids to close that gap and wind down, none of us can relate to that. Nope. None of us can relate to that. And I think it's important to for you know everybody to like I I think this whole thing is really shown again, it's another example of you know, sometimes when you when you see a guy do something athletically on television, you don't really know. You don't really know what's going on. And they're all human and they do things that we can't even like physically imagine doing. And just because they do those things that we can't imagine doing, we still also have to remember that these guys are human beings and they deal with things that we don't have to deal with. And they also deal with things that, you know, the rest of society has to deal with and that, you know, it's important to just keep all of that in perspective and that, you know, these guys are, you know, they, they play in a different world, but they are also human beings. Yep. Yep. So I don't know. I think, I think we're all wishing Everson Griffin the best and hope that he, the hope that he's been able to get a handle on some of these things and secondarily be able to help the Vikings. If he plays this weekend, Dan Hayes is going to join in about 15 minutes from the athletic to update us on the twins managerial search. But we saw this article, thanks to a couple Twitter followers from Deadspin, the 19 most boring athletes of all time, and thought, you know what? It would be fun to apply that to Minnesota athletes. Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Are you ready? Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. We are ready. Now back to Mackie and Judd. Ready! On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic. It's brought to you by Kitchen Window, 94 eastbound. We've got a crash in Minneapolis between 35W and Highway 55. Uh, That's going to be about a five-minute delay there. And uh, also, 35W southbound, we've got a crash in Richfield, an extra six minutes there. That crashes between 82nd Street and 86th Street, so be on the lookout for that as well. Don't miss the Knife Fest. This weekend, from 10 to 4 at Kitchen Window, Calhoun Square in Uptown. Free knife sharpening, free knife seminars, and 20 to 70% off all cutlery. Kitchen Window's Knife Fest at Calhoun Square this weekend. Details at kitchenwindow.com. Thank you, Manny. Twins managerial update in about 10 or 12 minutes. I've heard from people behind the scenes that... They might have something before the end of the week that they've got. They've got their finalists, and there's been multiple reports about who the finalists are. Rocco Baldelli is one of them. Derek Shelton, but that they and and they'd rather not have something break during the World Series. The World MLB wants you to not day of a game, right? Yeah, they don't want you to do that. So but Thursday, tomorrow's an off day. Monday is an off day. Mm. Sunday could be an off day, depending on how quick the World Series goes here. <laughs> I don't think it'll be that quick. Yeah. So dead. Okay, our guy Drew McGarry, noted Vikings fan from Deadspin, posted an article. Uh, this is from yesterday. The 19 boringest athletes of all time, and he went through and had Patrick Ewing number one, Pete Sampras, sort of a robot number two. That's a good one. Yeah, Brooks Kepka, who's now the world's number one golfer. I mean, his, his the elastic on his sleeves is more entertaining than than his personality. Tim Duncan, Lance Armstrong, Peyton Manning, uh, who else? Curtis Martin's on this list, David Robinson, et cetera. Got us thinking. Emergence hacking order. Yes. 
Who are the most boring Minnesota athletes of all time? <laughs> so many choices here. Did anyone go as far back as George Mikan? Uh, I went to the early 80s for my for one of my five. All right. I didn't go too far back. Okay. Why don't we why don't we start with Judd? Because Judd actually brought production to the table here. He he has sound. I'm bites. so proud of this. <laughs> all right. Unless Manny did too. I don't know. I, I, I got sound. I got okay. sound for go. all five all right. of my guys. Okay. Oh wow. Just three of my guys. Should I fly through mine then? Because yeah, I don't have audio. Yeah, go for it. Okay, right. I'll get out of your way here. All right. <laughs> Yeah, hurry up. Number on. number number five of the first ten years of Lindsey Whalen as a as a notable Back. basketball player. Lindsey's become a great personality now. Now she's the, sure. the front woman for the Gopher Bat, but she was not very elaborate or talkative for the first ten years of it, and then she started doing more radio and stuff. So I'm I'm I got to rip Lindsey's first ten years and it's put Phil her Phil Mackey, Lindsey Whalen, right. Phil Mackey. Congratulations Phil to Lindsey yep. for selling out the first game on the women's basketball schedule. Number four on my list, Tavares Jackson. Paint drying. <laughs> yep. Not only at the podium and speaking into cameras and microphones where he would just kind of talk. He was a low talker and he would just kind of stay right here talking about the game coming up. But every play was a rollout to the right and an out route. He bored his teammates. To the right. Yes. Number three on the most boring Minnesota athletes list, Harmon Killebrew. Got to go old mm. school. Now, Harmon's bat was very personable to the tune of 500-plus home runs. Brutal. But Harmon had wow. a very mellow, low-key personality. Not the most exciting guy. He's number three on the boring list. Number two, his boring twin cousin, Joe Maurer. I mean, Joe Maurer, yep. It, it, yep. imagine being the ad agencies in the 2009-10 period that had to, you know, let's, all right, head and shoulders. Let's go. We need a little <laughs> more out of you, Joe. Come on, a little more. And the single most boring athlete of all time in Minnesota sports history, showing off his skills as an endorser, I think it was air conditioning ads, Ryan Suter. Ryan Suter is number one. These, like somebody asked him about... Was the man it, goes to Quick Trip every day to get his food. Oh, my what God. What more do you want? I always get Caesar salads from the cold section at Quick Trip. $98 million and all I can do is Quick Trip. <laughs> Ryan Suter, Joe Maurer... Harmon Killebrew, Tavares Jackson, and Lindsey Whalen's first 10 years as a star basketball player. All right. That's my list. Judd, you're up next. All right. Uh, starting at number five, I'm going to go with former North Star and Minnesota USA hockey great Neil Broughton. Brots, let's just say, didn't really bring the enthusiasm. He sort of had the whiny tone, and he was a hell of a player, yeah. but he definitely qualified as boring. Right. Number four on my list, current Timberwolf. And current disappointment on the court and off, I guess. Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. Wiggy's just a boring dude. I love my shot. I'll say it with some conviction then, dude. but but I love my shot. Dude, he's like, I mean, he's a fathead. He's as skinny as a fathead, and he has the personality of a fathead. Those things that you tape on your wall. Oh, yeah. You peel, oh, oh, I know fatheads. You peel him off the wall. <laughs> I know a lot of fatheads. I know fatheads. <laughs> you peel him off the wall, and you put him 21 feet from the basket, <laughs> and that's pretty much And then he'll just shoot. Do. Yeah. Number three on my list. Actually, let's listen to him and then I'll get to him. Loss or, or win, I think we've been always been able to uh, just get back to even and, 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 like I said, prepare for the next one. And uh, in playoffs, it's especially it's very important. And, and I thought we did a good job on that in, uh, in the series. When I think of a captain, I think dynamic. I think take control <laughs> of a room. I think it's game seven of a playoff. You know who I want to hear from? Not Miko Koivu. <laughs> But that's who you hear from. <laughs> Not nice, but I think dead ass applies. Wow. That's number three. 
Number two, well, this is slightly more fun, but a very boring personality. You know, a lot of plays that were left out on the field. I think uh, there were some things that I could have done better to, to get the ball downfield, a couple of throws that I, I should have made. Um, you know, too many three and outs. We got to do a better job of staying on the field and converting third downs. Couldn't take control of a huddle, couldn't take control of a press conference. Nice enough guy, but the type of guy who you uh, who you probably don't want to go out to eat with just because he doesn't shut up and he's not very interesting. Congratulations, it's Christian Ponder. Number one, it has to be this guy. I didn't feel too well coming out of the park, but uh, was able to get out there and swing the bat. Um, things like that. Just wasn't enough today, so uh, hopefully we can uh, bounce back and uh, get one tomorrow. Potentially a Hall of Fame talent, but definitely not a Hall of Fame personality. That's our St. Paul Joe. So my five, Joe Maurer at one, Ponder at two, Miko at three, Andrew Wiggins at four, and Neil Broughton a throwback at five. All right. Manny Hill. All right. Now, let me say, first off, uh, three of these five are have been mentioned already, and uh, two of these five are actually not athletes. They're coaches. Okay, so. I was going to ask. There is a very notable coach that we should get to. Hopefully, Manny does. I'm yeah, guessing I, he's- yeah I, I've got two of them on here. So uh, first off, number five, and uh, this was on Phil's list, actually, and this was Phil's number one, but this is my number five. And this year has a, a totally different feel than, than the last, I feel. Um, you know, in the past, you know, we might not have had the team that we felt like that could go far, and... <laughs> And this year, I felt like we, we had that team that, that could go far. And, um, you know, it's it's tough to look forward right now. But um, like you said, a lot of the guys are coming back. And um, we got to make sure we have a, a good off season and, and prepare for, for next season. His, his personality is the car that drives 45 miles an hour in the left <laughs> lane on the freeway. You're just like, dude, I need a little more here. just Or, or move over. Just need a little more. There's a quick yeah. trip there. Pull in. Salads yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are fresh. So, yes, Ryan Suter is my number five. Number four is uh, this guy. Probably the rebounding, you know, that, that probably got us. Oh, uh, wow. You know, not getting to loose balls. You know, the the call that got overturned was probably, you know, that was one we should have had. Okay. Tom Thibodeau, number four for me. So I disagree with this one. He's boring okay. in press conferences, but he's wildly entertaining when you watch him coach, that's right? Because he's screaming and yelling and brooding the whole time. Yeah, but those post games, man. Pre-game, post-game, shoot-arounds, just general interviews. I just, it's just, it's, we got to play hard. He's quieted down minutes. too. He's been he's the, the two out home on the, games on the barking on the sideline. The two home games so far, he's been very quiet for him. It's not nearly as entertaining to watch him right now. All right, number three has been uh, mentioned already. I'm good. I'm feeling better. You know, we did a lot of treatment. You know, throughout the game, uh, we got good training staff. So that will be cool. I only miss a game if I got to, if I absolutely got to, you know, so I'm going to Toronto, you know, looking forward to it. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins, I'm not even sure they're going to know you're in Toronto tonight because, you know, you're probably not going to play that well because Kawhi Leonard's probably going to be checking you tonight. And, uh, you know, you're just boring. You're just boring. So I don't know if even the people in your hometown are going to know you're in the building tonight. Yeah, I'm not so- sure. Sometimes personalities. So Byron Buxton was super boring when he came in. And then he just became a little more. Now he's now. He, well, when he's in the major leagues, that is, which isn't very often. He shows you that fire and that energy just took some maturity. We're still waiting for it from Wiggins. All right. Number two has been mentioned already. Joe Maurer. We played the sound okay. already. And then uh, number one, it just it just has to be this guy. Um, uh, um. Or, uh, um, and, um, um, you know, um, uh, um, um, and, uh, 
and uh, you know, but um, number one for me, without question, <laughs> former Vikings coach Brad Childress. All right, he was no once in a while he'd drop a little zinger in there. He became oh, yeah. more entertaining as he got further. But along. I think to the outside world. He he came yeah. off as being extremely boring because even the even the dry humor that he had was just just uh, uh, you know uh, Brett uh, you know sometimes he'd be a deer hunter he'd talk about deer hunting and then uh, two minutes later uh, he's a vegan and don't forget don't forget football coaches take great pride most of them especially in the NFL at being boring as possible see I thought you were going to go with. Leslie Frazier, who could I easily be on Leslie. this list. I thought about Leslie. Or noted offensive mastermind Bill Musgrave. <laughs> oh, that would have been a good one. Just like small, tiny little play card, <laughs> clutching the microphone at the podium for every press conference, and checkdowns to fullbacks on every offensive play. And he's still doing the same thing in Denver right now <laughs> yeah. for Case Keenum. The reason why I ultimately went with Chili, though, is because... He had the boring personality, and he had the very, very boring kick-ass offense as well. Yeah. So. so Brett Favre showed up and spiced his personality up right. and his offense up. When we come back, Dan Hayes, our friend from The Athletic, has a little more information on who the Twins may be targeting here and what their plan is to replace Paul Molitor. So we'll do that. Also in the football hour, Rich Gannon joins us at 5.15. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's talk some baseball. Let's get Dan Hayes in here. Mackie and Judd, Manny Hill, Dan Hayes from The Athletic, and if you haven't read his latest on um, the Twins managerial search, theathletic.com is a good place to start. Dan Hayes, what can you tell us and our audience about where the Twins are with their search to replace Paul Molitor? I mean, it, it's definitely closing in. Obviously, it sounds like they've got it down to three. You know, there have been some scuttlebutt. Maybe there's a fourth guy that's a finalist. If, if so, they've done a really good job of keeping that name off of basically out of anybody's uh, uh, range of uh, hearing there because we haven't heard a fourth one and, and believe me, I've talked to a lot of people on that. So it sounds like Brandon Hyde and Derek Shelton and uh, Rocco Baldelli are the are the guys. They've all had second interviews at this point, and you know, I mean, the the way it works with baseball is baseball prohibits any announcements. And I know a couple of years ago, the I think it was A Rod uh, got announced. Something happened during the middle of a game, and MLB was extremely upset because the World Series is their, you know, their their jewel event. And when it comes to that, they want no announcements coming out. So you're looking at either a Thursday announcement, you're looking at a Monday announcement, or after the World Series ends. But you know, when I talked to Thad Levine, I want to say last week, he said that they definitely want to have somebody in place by the time the GM meetings begin. Those start November sixth, so. It's an extremely limited window, and, and right now, I mean, it, it could happen any minute. Dan, what do you think the Twins want here? What is their desire in replacing Paul when uh, Thad and Derek go into this guy's office? What do they want from this person, from the people th- that you've talked to? Well, it definitely stood out that, you know, talking about someone that can uh, relate to the modern ball player. that was something that was sort of brought up a lot uh, the day that they uh, let Paul go, you know, three weeks ago. And and I got the sense that he's a guy that a little bit keeps to himself. Um, uh, you know, as good as he is with us, that maybe that wasn't something. I mean, you think about, you know, when, when he played, and, and I don't 
I don't know that managers were as hands-on with players and in there every day. Um, you know, I started covering baseball in 2007, and my first uh, manager I covered was Bud Black, who would, if a player's slumping, would walk in and, and sit in a chair next to that player and just talk to him about life and, and try to do a little bit of that more relating to the player. I think that's something that's high on the list. I, you know, that's the the modern player is has been thrown around quite a bit, and, and it's a different era in that regard. Um, you know, guys want to hear that, they're, uh, the things are okay, stuff like that. And I have heard enough of that to believe that that's a, a big emphasis because I don't think that there's anything that Paul Mulder did wrong on the preparation standpoint, on the openness to analytics. I think he did a great job kind of rolling those things in. So I, I just, and, and you know, I, he's a guy to me who we, we get to know him and we talk to him every day, and, and he was extremely friendly. I, I enjoyed our sessions with him. Um, I have heard that maybe younger players are intimidated because he was so good as a player. And, you know, I, that it's possible that that perception's out there. I don't know that I agree with it just from my own interactions. But I think those are the things that they are looking for, someone more kind of personable and out there. And, and the one thing I've heard across the board is these three candidates, they really have that nailed. And, you know, Rocco Baldelli is a guy that's, just out of baseball and a lot of players still know him and, and talking to people that have worked with him, you know, he's an absolute, um, the, the players respond well to him. Well, yeah. the same thing can be said for Brandon Hyde. You know, I mean, he came up, he was the minor league, uh, he was the farm director when Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and, you know, the Cubs young core was going through there and those guys love him and, and talking to the Cubs people, that's the case with him. And, and having been around Derek Shelton, uh, it's absolutely the case with him, too. Um, I, I actually talked to Jake Odorizzi the other day, and, and he said, you know, uh, Shelton was the hitting coach when I was there, and so this year in the bench coach role, we actually had much more to talk about, and, and he found him extremely engaging and someone that, you know, he could understand and, and, and like would like to play for just because the energy and the uh, the personality side of things. Here, here's a question I have for you. Dan Hayes from, from The Athletic, uh, just on the Twins managerial search, about making sure that you're honing in on the right candidate. And I have no doubt that the Twins are thinking about this, but just from your perspective, you know, they're they're looking from they're looking at uh, the Cubs inner circle, the Rays inner circle, the Astros inner circle and they're trying to pull smart people from these highly regarded smart infrastructures, right? But how do you know you're pulling someone that helped create that successful culture as opposed to someone who is just associated with it? Well, I, I think when you look at the resumes specifically of Hyde and Baldelli, you look at all the things that they've done, and, and Hyde's been a bench coach three times. He was a manager for like one day uh, with the, the Marlins. Um, he's been on the minor league side. He, he has been a first base coach. He's been, um, I think he's worn like eight different hats in his career. Baldelli has done very similar things there. Um, Shelton did the quality control job in uh, in Toronto, which was similar to being a bench coach and now has been a bench coach. So I think what they've looked for are guys that are well-rounded individuals. And I think that that's a sign that organizations like them. I mean, you look at all three of these guys, and two of them have spent significant time in Tampa with Joe Madden. Um, the other is currently on Joe Madden's staff in Chicago. It, it's there, There's a common thread there. Um, but but the idea that they are guys that are well liked enough to to move around and get different views of these organizations, I think that says a whole lot about them. It's not someone that gets there and 
gets stuck in a position and, and is in that position for a while, they they get moved around. I mean, Brandon Hyde, I think, got to the Cubs in 2011 or 2002. He, he was one of Theo Epstein's first hires, and he was brought in as a uh, minor league player development guy, and, and he's moved around to the point where two different times they, they trusted him to be their bench coach. And, and I think that says a lot. And, um, you know, Rocco Baldelli, you, you just look also at the fact that these guys – are interviewing in multiple spots. Both Baldelli and Hyde have interviewed. I think Hyde's interviewed with four teams. He's a popular guy. Um, Baldelli is definitely interviewed with three, I believe. So you get the sense that they are doing well. And and this isn't just an, uh, um, from thinking about that way. Asking people around the league too. You know, I've had a lot of people tell me that the Twins really are in a good spot with all three choices they have. That they really can't go wrong. Dan, where do you think how how much does the situation with Buxton and Sano? How much will that play into their decision too? Because obviously we know those two guys have had their struggles now, and the big question is, you know, where do they go from here with those two guys? So how much how much in terms of just relating to those guys and getting those guys going again is uh, is going to factor in this decision with them? Well, I, I think that's for a lot of the young guys. I mean. You're talking about look at look at Kepler. We we've, we've seen all this potential there, and and while well, he's tapped into it to some extent, you know his his walks to strikeout got so much better this year. And um, you you look at guys like that. You look at Polanco. There there's still room for all these guys to grow, and I think that's why they are making this move now while this group is still young, is because they want to get a new voice in there and get someone that maybe relates to players better. And, and I do think that the development side that Hyde brings is a, is a key. I, you know, if I was going to peg them, you know, it's hard to say because Shelton is familiar and they clearly saw a lot in him to bring him in as their bench coach last year. Um, and, and at the same time, he doesn't have that player development side that, that Baldelli and Hyde do. And Hyde has it, the most of it uh, by far just being in the farm. Um, with the Cubs at the time when, you know, their critical guys were growing up in that system, and and that that's valuable experience. I mean, when you know how to develop, and that's that's something that they've talked about with Malder is that they really, if if the he decides to stick around, he has an eye for player development, um, and and they love that side of him and want him to work with hitters. But I think that it's having in their eyes all of the package and and that means being able to do the development at that major league level with these guys while doing the everyday game stuff and it's a tricky dynamic all around um and it's very hard to peg who they like because everybody has so many overwhelming positives so then once this hire is done how close will uh, Derek and Thad be to, to having this uh, this organization or portrait where they want it as far as moves? Because in you know that they've made changes, they've obviously uh, added a lot of people as far as the executive roles go, and that and scouting. How close will this hire uh, take them to being where they want things to be? Do you think? Well, I that's the key is taking the next step with this with this person and their coaching staff. I think that. They have the info they want on the analytics side, and I think that getting it across and getting it implemented properly is 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 the focus. I don't think that they got that to where they wanted to be. As as I've heard a couple times, that's something, and I've heard it from players, I've heard it from people in the front office, I've heard it from people on the staff that it's something that they need to improve in because you look at 
uh, Ryan Presley. And, and, you know, there's a chance that that was just a change of scenery. But Ryan Presley's quotes last week, I think in the Washington Post said, yeah. hey, this is a, you know, this is a guy that um, he, he said that the Twins basically didn't push it enough with him on the curveball and that the Astros discovered something new. But, you know, I, I know from talking to people all season long, the Twins had that same information. So I, there's a disconnect somewhere, and they have to figure out where that disconnect is in getting that information because the information's there. It just probably didn't get implemented well enough. And, and so I think that that's a critical step. I mean, obviously getting their guy is, is a key piece to that, but they're still the, putting that infrastructure in so that those kinds of things don't happen again. And Ryan Presley doesn't become all world after he leaves and then tells everyone that he wasn't getting that information. So it, it's a, it's tricky and it, it's a big step here. Yep. Great stuff, Dan. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens in the next few days and I'm sure we'll catch up once the twins have a manager officially. All right. Sounds good guys. All right. Dan Hayes from the athletics. So, the the Ryan Presley anecdote that he just alluded to mm-hmm. I've I've got the quotes in front of me right now it's really interesting and and the, the twins let's come back and touch on this the twins are supposed to have an analytically friendly front office right absolutely okay and I don't think anyone doubts that they're that they're much more all in on analytics and new ways of thinking than the previous regime but why did Ryan Presley turn into basically the best reliever in the American League when he left the Twins? And he actually, Ryan Presley is quoted giving an answer for why that was. So we'll do that when we come back. And also the football hour includes Rich Gannon, Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic here. 694 eastbound if you're headed that way. Uh, Look out for a crash near Columbia Heights. That is uh, between Central Avenue and Silver Lake Road. Prepare for an extra 13 minutes there. And uh, 35W southbound in Bloomington. Uh, We've got a crash between 86th Street and 90th Street. Uh, Factor in an extra seven minutes in that area. All right. You guys want the the damning quotes from Ryan Presley here? Yes. What you got? And sometimes you can't tell. If, you know, a guy goes to a different organization, and was the communication better, or or was he just was 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 well, it because hey, Justin Verlander listens to these guys, so maybe I should too. And there's no Justin Verlander in the Twins clubhouse. And the, and the Astros also are clearly where the Twins aim to be someday. So yes. their, their ability to communicate information might be far more honed at this point, in fairness to both sides. Yep, and, that, and that's where the arms race is in baseball. There's a few different arms races, but it's not. It, it used to be for 10 years, who can get the most updated information? Can, oh, man, there's a new way to measure pitch framing, right? Oh, my gosh, we can tell like how an outfielder's route looks, and now everyone has that information. How can you take the piles of information and communicate it like a human, not a spreadsheet? Right. Because you're dealing with human performance, so can you communicate these vast amounts of information in a way and disseminate it in a way that a guy who didn't go to college or a guy who doesn't speak very good English can understand, right? I mean, those are the realities of baseball. So anyways, Ryan Presley leaves the Twins in this trade. He pitched, so he, he was very good with the Twins. He had a 340 ERA. He had the highest strikeout rate of his career. And uh, and so 340 ERA goes to the Astros, pitches in 26 games, a .77 earned run average. Mm. 
an expected ERA of 1.49, which was a run and a half lower than his Twins' expected ERA. He only walked three batters in 26 games with the Astros. He just he was very good with the Twins, and he overnight became one of the best relievers in the entire league. And this is what he said. So somebody from the Washington Post asked him, how can that be? And he said, honestly, it's the preparation of the Astros athletic de- uh, uh, analytics department. They tell us what works and what's not going to work. The percentages, how to set up your mix of pitches, how to attack hitters. Every team has an analytics department, Presley continued. And this is no knock on the Twins, but seeing the time the Astros put in and the scouting reports you're given, it's like, whoa, it's a different level. You kind of see, wow, if I just pitch a little more to this percentage instead of that percentage, I can have some better results. When I came over here, they were like, look, your curveball is your best pitch. Everybody tells you your best pitch should be your fastball, but with the amount of spin you have on your curveball, you have to throw the curveball more often. It'll set up your fastball even more, and voila, he becomes this incredible pitcher. I think it helps when you've got big-time Hall of Fame caliber dudes like Justin Verlander in that clubhouse who also experienced similar results from Detroit to Houston, and who can look at Ryan Presley and say, yeah, these these aren't just nerds walking around the clubhouse. Right. This is legit stuff. You should listen so to them. Are you buying that the Twins didn't tell him exactly the same thing at some point? I'm buying that the way in which it was communicated, which we'll never know because we weren't there for the conversation, didn't resonate the same way that it did in Houston. I guarantee you the Astros and the Twins, based on what the Twins have done behind the scenes the last two or three years with the new front office, I guarantee you the Twins have the same information, and they're trying to implement the same communication about the information. But I think the reason why Paul Molitor and some of these coaches were on the hot seat That's what I was gonna is say. because yeah. why, why is it that Buxton Snow are failing? Why is it that Ryan Presley is better with the Astros? Because they need to do a better job connecting with these and, guys. And where where is that, or where should that be? At what point? Should that be on, or should that have been on Paul? Should that have been on Garvin Alston? Where... where? Yeah, if they had the information to give and it didn't get uh, communicated in the proper way, there's definitely a point of breakdown. Yeah, I'm curious where that point of breakdown was exactly because it sounds like if it goes from from X to Y to Z, then it's fine. Yeah. But if if Y doesn't carry what they're supposed to, you've got yeah. a problem. I, I I don't know. This is pure reckless speculation, but the Astros are probably really good at explaining why. And you're not going to play mm-hmm. it. Oh. Sorry. What's happening to the show? This is purely reckless speculation. Thank right? you. Thank you. But if you're a pitcher and you've you've dominated high school and you've dominated college or the minor leagues and you're pitching really well in the majors and you're making millions of dollars and some dude, some geek from some department is giving information to the coaches and you get these scouting reports on paper, you know, uh, I think I'll be okay. I, I, I think I know when to throw my curveball and my fastball, right? <laughs> yeah. But... If you have somebody who can disseminate this and say, all right, you're really good. Here's how and why you can be even better. And here's some tangible evidence of, of what we've done with other guys. And I, I, this, I, I don't know. Maybe the Twins were really good at this, and it just didn't work as well with Ryan Presley. But if you go, if you go to Ryan Presley and you say, hey, man, we need you to throw the curveball more often. Uh, I have a three ERA. What do you mean? I strike out 13 batters per night. I know, but if you throw your curveball more often, oh, okay, whatever. Right, and the catchers have to be on board. If the right. catchers aren't on board, then they're not calling more curveballs. So you can see how there's. So is this as as simple as a team like the Astros actually has the ability to show you exactly what's going to happen if you do what they say and articulate it correctly, no, or I, show you show you, hey, if you I throw the curveball more, I think it's 
Or, this is what people, this is the funny part. People think all these front offices and these baseball yeah. people, it's a bunch of computers. We're talking about human communication and human element right, but, here. But that's, that's to the your piece. point, though, you're, de- you're dealing with people who need to see something presented as easily as possible. Like if you go to them with flow charts and graphics and say, hey, Ryan Presley, sit down, I've got a yeah. PowerPoint. He's going to be like, shut up. But if you go to him and in a five-minute conversation can explain, if you do this, you're going to be outstanding. Yeah. And so, because this goes back to, was it the Angels and Sosha who who completely bristled when they would bring him? They'd come down with all of this information and be like, your guys can improve substantially if, and he'd be like, get the hell out of here. Which at the time, you're like, okay, I guess I get that. But now, more and more, if you don't accept that, you're probably going to fail. And it probably shows, I mean, it probably just speaks to, well, I, I think it definitely speaks to where, obviously, where the Astros are at. The team that won the World Series last year was in the ALCS this year. And where the Twins are at, in that both teams have, in terms of like the front office and everything, both teams have the right ideas and the right sort of, you know, how do we get, you know, how do we, what what are the right things that these players need to do to, to, to maximize their skill set, but because the Astros, the Astros are ahead because they've been winning the last three, yeah. four years, and they've won a championship. And AJ Hinch has been the manager there now for a while, and so he, yeah, had he's found out a way to communicate all this stuff to his players. And the Twins, while they have at the while the grand scheme for the Twins is very similar, it's just. They, that's that one step that they're probably a little behind on is just communicating that to these players. Yep. There's something else to be said for when the, the when when did the Astros start this journey when they were losing 100 games like five or six years ago or something? Yeah, yeah, something like that. A long time ago now. Yeah, because they hired and, Bo Porter what in 2011 ish. So they were so they were taking their lumps. They were ahead of the game compared to the Twins in informational gathering, and by extension. How do we communicate this to humans, right? How do we get humans to buy into this? This, this isn't; these aren't computers. We're talking about people here, so they're probably you know three, four years ahead, maybe even more than that in terms of the way that they are able to take all of this and set up their system. And Hinch and, is very good too. Yeah, Hinch totally gets it, and that's a hard thing to do because not every not every player has the same sort of personality that Ryan Presley has. So the Astros are figured out a way to get through to Ryan Presley. It might have had to have been a little bit of a different way to get through to somebody else that they may have had in their organization. It's a tough thing. Byron yes. Buxton and Miguel Sano. If you can get through to them, you yeah, save the well, franchise. You better get through to them. I don't know who replaces those dudes in the in the game plan here. Uh, Matthew Collar will join us to discuss what the Vikings learned. Yeah, everyone remembers the Mir- Minneapolis miracle as the end of the the amazing end of the game. But if that hadn't happened, I think we'd have a very different feeling about the Saints and what happened in that game. So what did the Vikings learn from blowing that lead to Drew Brees? And also Rich Gannon will join us.